we've been in a series called God Loves, talking a lot about the ways in which God loves. But today, we're going to be talking about that, but a, little, a slightly different angle on that. We're going to be talking about us a little bit and our love. That's what we're going to be talking about, and we think about this because there's so many models and guides on how we should love, right? I always think about, uh, I always think about the inspirational sports movie genre. Right? In every single inspirational sports movie genre, there's like a team of rambunctious young men that need guidance, and there's a coach that comes in and shows them tough love, and through the tough love, they win the championship, right? And, they, and it's harsh love, but he really loves them, and everything changes, and they win, and it's great, right? The inspirational sports movie genre, an interesting guide for us to look at. There's also <laughs> like parenting. I have a six-month-old son right now, and there's like mountains of books on parenting, videos and all these things, and so many of the books say like opposite things. So you're kind of like, well, I guess I'll just roll the dice and, and see what happens. Especially like, uh, I think about like discipline. Like there's so many different things like, no, discipline like this. No, discipline like that. Like spanking. You know, everyone's like, you come from 13 generations of spankers and you're going to be spanked. And it raises your IQ where you're spanking this family. And then another family's like, no, never spank. It creates sociopaths. Do not spank. You want your kid to end up a Netflix miniseries? Spank them, Okay. So many, <laughs> so many different ideas on these things, right? I think even relationships and friendships. Maybe you got a friend that yeah, you're trying to think how how do I how do I love this person? They're going through something. What should I do that will really care for them? How do I approach this? How do I approach this? Maybe they're hurting, and you don't quite know how to care for them. You don't quite know what to do. And there's a lot of examples. Maybe, maybe you're going to be Denzel from Remember the Titans. Are you going to do that? Or you're going to take maybe a more gentle approach? I think about spouses. Like when you get married, you think about how your parents treated one another or lack thereof. And maybe you start to make decisions in your mind. Like, man, they, they did this that I liked, so I'm, I'm going to emulate that, but I'm not going to do this. Like we have so many guides just built into our lives of how to love, and we need to ask ourselves, who should guide our loving? or what should guide our loving. So the Gospel of John is going to address this for us today. Gospel of John, I'm going to be in uh, CSB version, 13, 31 through 38. But before I, before I even get into this, let me just set the plot. Let me just set the context really quick. So Jesus is back at Jerusalem. He's come back, and the cogs have begun to turn. The wheels have been set into motion for him going to the cross. In fact, he's just had the Last Supper, which many of you have probably heard of. Um, he's just had the Last Supper. Judas, the one who would betray him, has just left. So he was with them, and he just left to go and sell Jesus out. And it's in this context that we find ourselves when Jesus says what he says in 13, 31 through 38. So we're going to read it here. This is John 13. Come on, technology. You got me, Lindsay? Come on, there we go. When he had left, talking about Judas, Judas, when he had left, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. What he's saying here is, I'm about to go finish what I came here for, and it's going to glorify my Father, and it'll be glorify me as well. He's going to the cross. He's going to die. When he, had, when he had left, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. In other words, it's going to happen. We rolling. This is the end. 
It's going to happen quick. Children, I'm with you a little while longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I, just as I, oh, have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Lord, Simon Peter said to him, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Lord, Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will lay my life down for you. Jesus replied, will you lay your life down for me? Truly, I tell you, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Now, this is an incredibly important moment because, like I said, Judas has just left. He's left to go sell Jesus out to the authorities. And Jesus knows it's the final countdown, okay? He knows that he's got limited time. In fact, this, is, this section is part of what's called the farewell discourse. And it basically is some of Jesus' last words, right? Important thing, last words. You tend to be deliberate about what you say on your way out. And so was Jesus. This is his last part of his last words. It goes on for a couple chapters. And he says, a new command I give you. I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. But how is this new? Maybe you were here for the sermon on the greatest commandment where a scribe asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in the law, Jesus? And Jesus says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Is this new? What's new about this? This is his last words. Why is he saying this? Well, here's what's new. What's new is this part. What's new is, just as I have loved you. There's a new example. There's a new standard. There's a new guide. And it's Jesus. Love one another just as I have loved you. So, the first question that we need to ask what characterized Jesus' love? If he talks about the greatest commandment and now he's on his way out and he goes, guys, a new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. Here's the thing about this. Before we even go further, we got to put ourselves into the disciples' shoes. we got to put ourselves a few verses earlier in the Last Supper because something significant happens. And when they would have heard Jesus say, love one another as I have loved you, they would have immediately been thinking about what just happened. So here's what just happens. It's John 13, verses 3 through 5 and 12 through 17. Here's what just happens. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. When Jesus had washed their feet, and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. This is what the context is in which Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. 
we see foot washing. So what's the first thing that, Jesus, that characterized Jesus' love? Is he meets their physical needs. That's the first thing. What do you mean meets their physical needs? Well, foot washing, as many of you may have heard, in the ancient world, people were repping sandals, okay? Not closed-toed shoes, sandals, and they walked a lot. No electric scooters, okay? No Uber, none of that. They walked in open-toed shoes, and so their feet was nasty, okay? Their feet were gross, and they had a real physical need when they came in to a nice place. This is a, this is a guest room that they had the Last Supper in, and Jesus washes their feet, and it's a real physical need that they actually have. They need to wash their feet. Think about how hard it would have been for mothers in the ancient world. They take their shoes off like, they, like they're supposed to, and they walk in. It doesn't even matter because their feet are still nasty, right? They, Jesus meets a physical need for them. What characterized Jesus' love? He meets physical needs. Um, I, uh, I was talking to my dad at the beginning of the year. He had just retired and was thinking about what he was going to do next, probably work, but probably work in a different context. And he, one of the things he'd always wanted to do was climb Mount Whitney. My dad's like an outdoor climbing kind of guy. He's done a bunch of 14ers in Colorado. He wanted to climb Mount Whitney, which is the tallest 14er in California. There's 12 14ers in California. He wanted to do that, but he's 63. So he needed some time to get ready. So he's training, getting ready. He asked me, hey, you want to come climb Mount Whitney with me? I'm like, no, that sounds horrible. Ask somebody else. He was like, okay. And so then he goes and he asks my brother. And uh, my brother's like, yeah. My brother's done the Pacific Crest Trail, which is like a, literally a hike from Mexico to Canada, which is like, I don't know why anyone ever wanted to do that. But he did it and he liked it. And so he asked my brother. My brother says yes. My brother's like 6'5", 200 pounds, twisted steel. Like the guy is like the perfect guy to go with my dad, who's like 250 215 pounds of like rusted steel, right? <laughs> so my dad, uh, my dad goes and he gets ready and they're ready to rock. They get on the trail, they're going up. My brother is behind him because my dad needs to lead because my dad needs to set the pace because he's 63 and he's going. My brother's behind him the whole time. He's like, yeah, we're killing it. We're crushing this. We're going. He's eating cliff bars. Everyone's going, right? We're going up the mountain. And then a little less than a mile from the top, it's a 22-mile hike, 5,500 elevation gain. It's gnarly. Little, while, they're, while they're close to the top, uh, my brother goes, hey, can we take a break? My dad's like, sure. <laughs> I can't wait for a break. He's been the one that's calling the break so far. My brother says, hey, can we take a break? My dad's like, yeah. They take a break, and my dad's like, they're talking, and my brother's like, I got a headache. And my dad was like, you have a what? And my brother's like, I have a headache. I'm feeling kind of feeling weird. And those of you who know, what this means. Those of you maybe who have lived in Colorado for a while know that this is not a good sign. And my brother start, my dad starts to draw him out. Hey, tell me more about how you're feeling. Like, what do you, what, tell me, what do you mean, what are you feeling? And they're stopped on the side of the trail. And this is what they see. That's the top. Right there. It's the top of the peak. 22 mile hike. Dad's wanted to do it since he was 20. And they're stopped. And he realizes that my brother has altitude sickness. 200 pounds of twisted steel has altitude sickness. Never had it, never had to turn around from a mountain. And my dad realizes, oh, well, that's it. <laughs> we need to go back. And my brother's like, no, we're not going back. Like, well, you've been training for this for months. Like, I'm just going to wait here, and you go up to the top. You can see it. My dad's like, no, you don't, you don't get it. You need to know when to turn back. And my dad just, my brother had a physical need, Right? He had altitude sickness, and he didn't realize like, how serious it is. 30 people had gotten like, hella padded off the mountain this month, 
30 people that had to take down from Whitney this month. And my dad's like, no, we're going back. And my brother starts to just cry because he's a 200 pounds of twisted steel and a lot of feelings, okay? He's an emotional one of the sons, and he's crying. He's like, no, I'm staying here. You're going to the top. And my dad's like, you don't get this. We're going down. And they could see it. And they went down. My brother had a physical need, and my dad met the physical need. And they went down, and like 30 minutes into heading down, my brother throws up all over the trail. And they were like, okay, it's time to like run down. And so they ran down, and then he started feeling great, and, and that was that. And, you know, I mean, it costed my dad. It would have been glorious for him to summit the tallest 14er in California as a 63-year-old man. But he gave it up. My brother had a physical need, and he gave it up. And he met my brother's physical need at his own personal cost, I might add. Now, it wasn't hard for him. He's been walking with the Lord for a long time, and it just speaks so much to him walking with Jesus that long that it just was an easy decision. Because honestly, like, I might have been like, okay, you lay down, here's a rock for your pillow, I'll BRB, you know what I mean? And, um, but he didn't, even when they could see how close it was, he met my brother's physical need. Now, Jesus is talking about the community of faith. Love one another. He talks about people that don't know him elsewhere. Now he's talking about the community of faith. Love one another as I have loved you. And what's the first thing about this? He washes their feet and meets a physical need. And we see that all the time. We as Christians see physical needs for our brothers and sisters all the time. Whether it's somebody just that's hungry and you buy him a meal or has to move or, 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 or needs money. They're in a tight spot. So there's a million physical needs that we can meet. And Jesus has eyes for it. And you know what's funny about this? It's like, this is his last, this is the farewell discourse. You know what's funny about this? He's walking on death row, and he's not thinking about his last meal. He's not like, guys, okay, I've been trying to tell you that I'm going to die. Now I'm actually going to die. I want you all to go and get me, I don't know, what is it? what's like a steak and lobster, like back then, something, hummus and tabbouleh or something, right? So they, um, I want you to give me, he's not thinking about that. He's thinking about how he can serve his followers in his final moments. Do you have eyes for the physical needs of the saints? What characterized Jesus' love? He met their physical needs. Here's the next one. He met their spiritual needs. This is what he says, I think in verse 31. He says this in 31, yeah. Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. See, he washed their feet and met their physical need, but he's going to the cross. And he's going to the cross because they have a spiritual need. Their hearts are far from God and they need forgiveness because God does not dwell with evil and sin and it needs to be paid for. And so Jesus is meeting that spiritual need for them. He is substituting himself for them. This is the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. It's a cornerstone to the gospel. Jesus substitutes himself for them and meets their spiritual need. Even when the, the feet washing, yeah, they needed their feet washed, but it's also symbolic. So many times in the Bible, water represents cleansing. And he washes their feet because they need it, but he also washes their feet to show them that he's about to cleanse them spiritually because they have a spiritual need. Jesus meets their physical needs. He meets their spiritual need. Now, um, here's the thing. Spiritual needs, they, they need spiritual remedies, right? In the same way that somebody's hungry, they need Food, right? Spiritual needs need spiritual remedies. I was watching uh, that HBO show Chernobyl about like the Russian nuclear meltdown. It was such a crazy show. It's like talking about what happened. I think it was like mid 80s. This Russian 
nuclear reactor melts down and all these Russians get like radiation poison and burns. Can you imagine if they went to the hospital and the doctor was like, oh yeah, you got to burn, you need some aloe vera. Get back out there, tiger. Can you imagine if, that, if that's the way that he met that need? And they're like, no, no, you don't understand. I'm at the, radi- ra- the reactor, the radiation's burning me. And he's like, here's some Coppertone, SPF 10,000. Get back out there. You know what I mean? It's not what they need. It's not a sunburn. It's a different kind of need. And so too, we need to meet spiritual needs with spiritual things. Now look, you're not Jesus. You're not supposed to go to the cross and pay for sin. That's literally why he came. That's why he was a substitution. But maybe you're at home with a roommate. Your roommate comes back from work. You're like, hey, yo, how was your day? And they're like, oh, it was whatever. I didn't eat like all day. Now, if you think that's a physical need, you're like, sweet, let's go get a pint of haagen and call it a night, right? But maybe you instead ask some questions. Oh, what do you mean? Why, why didn't you eat all day? What's going on? And maybe they say, my mom, I found out a week ago my mom's sick. And I don't know what's going to happen. That's a spiritual need. Their soul needs to be cared for. They don't need a pint of haagen Maybe they do, but later. <laughs> Their soul needs to be cared for. Spiritual needs, maybe there's shame. Maybe there's something that they need to get off their chest, and they need to be cared for by you. They need to be comforted by you. Spiritual needs require spiritual things, and Jesus calls us into that. He calls us to pray for one another. Yeah, to feed one another, to clothe one another, but also, on the spiritual category, he calls us to pray for one another. Why? Because we believe that prayer changes reality and calls out to God who intervenes. He calls us to bear one another's burdens. He calls us to, to speak the truth in love. He called, like, if, somebody's, if somebody's hurting, he calls us to lead them into the oasis of his wonderful word where God can speak to them. He calls us to lead us back to Jesus, to lead them back to Jesus if they have a spiritual need. Jesus saw their physical needs, he saw their spiritual needs, and he calls us into the same. Hard, maybe it's a hard conversation about sin. Maybe this person is going somewhere that you know is not going to, to, to bless them. And they have a spiritual need. And maybe it looks like sitting down with them and talking about it. Jesus calls us into that too. Spiritual needs. Um, here's the last one. It comes from verse 33. It's humility. Where I am going, he says, you cannot come. Where I am going, you cannot come. Here's what he means. When we see where I'm going, you cannot come, what we're reminded of is that he came. We're reminded that he was here. We're reminded that he humbled himself, the God of all creation, the King of kings, the one who threw the earth into its spin, who spoke the universe into existence. And he comes to earth. And he pays for sin, and then he goes back to his father. We're reminded that he came. We're reminded of his humility. We're reminded of his humility when we see him literally wash feet. The Lord of Lords. Apparently nothing was beneath him. To wash their feet. These guys, a lot of these guys were poor. Jesus born into a poor family. A lot of the disciples were poor. Jesus was a fisherman. Jesus washed his feet. All I'm saying is it probably smelled like fish, dude. Like it was probably really nasty. And it wasn't beneath him. He created Peter and he's washing his feet. What characterized Jesus' love? Humility. 
in a way that we've never seen humility manifest. Nothing was beneath our God. Nothing was beneath him. Um, so when we think about what characterized Jesus' love, we see the way he met physical needs, spiritual needs. We see the way he humbled himself. We need to ask, he said this in, his, in some of his last words, he chose to say this, love one another as I have loved you. And we need to ask ourselves, does that matter to us as much as it mattered to him? He could have said a lot of things on his way out. And we need to ask, do we care about our brothers and sisters' spiritual needs and physical needs and humbling ourselves? Are we above anything? Because Jesus cared about that a lot. It's part of his last words, the farewell discourse. He cared about that a lot, and we need to ask ourselves, do we care about it the way that he did? Do we look and carve out time in our week and carve out time in our days and our resources and our money and our emotional well-being? Some of this stuff gets really uncomfortable, y'all. Like, you think Jesus enjoyed washing the feet? Honestly, he probably did because he's Jesus, and he's amazing. But a lot of the stuff when we do what Jesus calls us into, love one another the way that I have loved you, it's going to be brutal. It's not going to be comfortable. And are you, are you willing to walk into that the way that the God of heaven did? He cared about it so much. It's one of the first things that he says to them as the wheels turn for him to walk to the cross. Love one another is the way that I have loved you. The feet are still damp. Feet are still damp. Love one another the way that I have loved you. What characterized Jesus' love? Those three things. Humility, meeting spiritual needs, meeting physical needs. So when did Jesus love? When did Jesus love? Uh, well, we're going to go to 36 through 38. This is the end of it here. I'm just going to read the whole thing because it's awesome. Okay. Lord, Simon Peter said to him, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now but you will follow later. Lord, Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will lay my life down for you. Jesus replied, will you lay your life down for me? Truly, I tell you, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. When did Jesus love? And by the way, Peter did deny him three times. When did Jesus love? Even when his closest friends failed him. Because you know what? When Peter denies him later, he still goes. He still goes to the cross. And you know, it's not just Peter. The disciples scatter. Judas literally sells him out. Jesus just washed his feet. He knows he's going to sell him out, and he still goes. Jesus loves even when his friends and family abandon him, even when they fail him. Um, so maybe, like, maybe for you it's a family member. Maybe it's a family member who you, 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 you know you need to love. You love them. And you're trying to love them, and it's, maybe it's not going well. They're making decisions that you know are leading to destruction. And it's frustrating, and you try and speak life and encouragement, and sometimes they throw it back in your face. They don't care. It's brutal. Loving when people fail you and even actively hate you is insanely hard. It's, maybe it's not hard once, and you're like, you know what, this is the right thing to do. I'm going to do it once. But for week after week after week and year after year, ge a generation comes and goes. Like, you know how hard that is? To hang in like that? To hang in with a family member or somebody, a brother and sister in Christ who's, who lets you down? And yet Jesus says, get up. 
Keep going. Remember me. Remember. Remember Peter. Remember the other disciples. Get up. Keep loving. Don't stop. I'm here. I'm here. He loves even when his friends and family abandon him and let him down. And remember, this is about, again, this is about the family of faith, Christians, friends at church. When they let you down, the ones who shouldn't let you down, when they let you down, will you keep going? Will you obey the call of our Lord to persevere and lean into him? You know, um, yeah, was that, was that a yeah? Was that a baby? Okay. Um, I thought I was getting some, like, you know, Jews out there, but anyway. Um, okay, and, but you know what else? Before we even get too far down that path, before we get too far down the path of, like, oh, yeah, man, people are failing me, let's, let's not forget our man, Peter. Let's not forget about this guy. Lord, Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will lay my life down for you. I will do it, Jesus. But as we know, Peter was a little too confident. Wasn't quite fully in touch with what was in his heart. He was a little too confident. And remember this guy, dude, this guy. This guy has seen Jesus raise people from the dead, bring food out of nothing. He's literally gone with Jesus to the top of a mountain, seen Jesus's face transfigured into blinding light. Moses and Elijah show up, which is like the ultimate Jewish celebrity meet and greet. Like Peter's like, oh, Moses, sign my sandal. This is insane. And then a voice comes from heaven. Peter's witnessed that. This dude has witnessed that. And still, he crumples. Woe to us if we're like, I'm not going to make that mistake. You kidding me? What a moron. Woe to us if we think that that same failure doesn't lurk in our own heart. Because it does. But there's good news. Because Jesus not only goes to the cross for Peter after that, but restores him and changes him. Restores him and changes him. So, when did Jesus love? When his friends and family failed him. Here's the last one. When did Jesus love? First. He loved first. Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. But you will follow later. Why? I mean, it's so ironic. It's so ironic for Peter to stand in front of Jesus and be like, I will, I will die for you. I'm going to give my life up for you. Like, why can't I follow you? And Jesus, I mean, literally, it's like, you will die for me? Because I'll tell you, somebody's going to die soon, but it's not going to be you. That's what happens here. Peter thinks he's going to die for Jesus, but Jesus is actually going to die for him. He's going to die for him first. And you know what's funny about that? is Peter denies Jesus, and then the Bible doesn't record what happens to Peter, but through other sources that we have, it all points to Peter dying in Rome under Emperor Nero, a martyr's death. Peter does die for Jesus eventually. Years later, but not first. First, Jesus dies for him, and it's the power behind what leads Peter to die for Jesus. It's the power behind it. When did Jesus love? First. Peter fails first and then succeeds later. So this is important for us to ask. Do you go 
It was by by Jesus' power that Peter did this later. It was by Jesus' power that he was restored after he failed him and then went out and obeyed him and made a huge impact for Jesus' kingdom. Do you, like Peter, go back to the well that is our Lord Jesus Christ, the everlasting water of Jesus, the restorative water that even when you fail, you know he brings you back, he wraps you up, he speaks tenderly and loving to you and then sends you back out and doesn't let you go alone. Because he's with you. He's with you. So do you go to the everlasting water that is Jesus? Do you take your failures to him and go to him as the one who loved first? I saw this uh, quote on Facebook the other day. And it was like, I loved it. Even though it was like a Facebook quote and those are usually lame, I still loved it. It was like, it was like religion says, I messed up. I can't let my dad find out. But the gospel says, I messed up. I need to call my dad. I need to call my dad. The equivalent for us being, I messed up. I need to go to my Lord. Because I already know what he's going to do. Yeah, he might rebuke me through his word in the Bible. Yeah, he might correct me. But I know that he still loves me. I take anything to him. Do you go back to the Lord when you fall? Do you go back to the Lord when it's hard to love people that fail you? And refresh yourself. And go back to the source of power that enables us to obey his commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. That's a high bar. And yet, he doesn't call us to that without giving us the power to do it. He picks us up and he speaks tenderly. And he forgives. And then sends us back. Um, When did Jesus love? Even when his closest friends and family failed him? And he loved us first. And it's the power with which we go out and love. Likewise, the way that he did. So, here's the last question. What should happen when we do this? And this, of course, comes from verse 35. 35 says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, Jesus is like, people are going to know who you are by your love for one another. People will know that you're of me by your love for one another. What should happen when we do this? We should become a witness. We should become a witness to Jesus. Um, And there's so many, like, if you just think about this, like, if you see this, it equals this. There's so many, like, groups of people, like, that this is true for, right? There's so many, like, things in which this is true. Like, if you see a guy in cowboy boots and a cowboy hat driving an F-350, he probably listens to country music, right? Some of you are like, where is he going to go with that? <laughs> he listens to country music, okay? If uh, you see a Raiders fan, the Raiders gear, he's a Raiders fan, he probably has a criminal record, right? If you see, um, what was my last one? If you see, uh, if you, oh, yeah, if you see a bunch of people eating salads, they're probably vegans and they have a lot of pets. Right? There's a lot of things like this. Right? A lot of things like this. I, I'm a salad guy. Don't hate you. I'm a salad guy. Right? I juiced like 40 ounces a day for like two years. Right? Have you done that? No. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of things where we see and then we can see, okay, that means this. And Jesus says, I want that to be your love for one another for people then to recognize that it's me. I want that to be your love for one another. Now, 
And the, so the love for one another affects two things. Obviously, it affects Christians. If we're loving one another well, that enriches us and blesses us and affects us, but it's also a witness. It's also supposed to be an external witness that we follow Jesus. Now, the application question here is, does your life with those of your friends and family that know Jesus, that you love, does your life with them ever intersect with your life with those that you love that don't know Jesus? Do those lives ever cross? Because if they don't, how are they going to know that you love your brothers and sisters of Christ? How are they going to know? If they don't see that, this is a call to a life of intersection. This is a call to a life where your friends that are believers and your friends and family that aren't believers, that don't know Jesus, are together in the same place. You're like, that sounds like a bad idea. Well, it's Jesus' idea. You can take that up with him. That's his idea. Does your life have intersection? And dare I say that it just might be a witness. And yes, you will mess it up. In fact, maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. And you're like, okay, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So I'm not a Christian. So I'm, I'm supposed to have seen people, Christians that are loving one another and that's supposed to reflect me. Jesus, yo, I've seen a lot of the opposite. Just saying. I've seen a lot of the opposite to which I say, yeah, so have I. <laughs> In fact, dare I say, I might have seen more than you. I've been in the church since I grew up. I've seen a lot of that failure. A lot of failure. Two parents that claim to be Christians and then don't treat each other well and even maybe leave each other. A painful thing and you receive the fallout from that. Friends, maybe in high school and college, that were Christians and then burned the bridge, never returned. So many endless lists of things that we witness that don't line up with this. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So much failure. To which I say, yeah. There's a lot. But to which I also say, that's why we're here, yo. That's why we're here. Because we fail each other, fail each other. Everybody's failing all the time, and we need the gift of grace. And we know that. That's why we're here. That's why we're submitted to Jesus who gives us the free gift of grace. And you know what else I've also seen? Restoration. Lives changed permanently. Sin forgiven. Shame washed away. Relationships restored. I've seen a lot of that. Heck of a lot of that. Also why we're here. And so, you've seen a lot of failure. I know. I'm sorry. I invite you in to taste, as, as the Bible says, come and see and taste that he is good. I invite you in to see that. Um, in conclusion, what should guide our loving? Remember the Titans? Spanking? What should guide our loving? Here's what John says. The Lord Jesus himself. Love one another as I have loved you. A new commandment I give you. And they didn't even know what that meant in the moment. Yeah, their feet had been washed. and like, oh my gosh, God is washing our feet. And they didn't even know what he was about to go and do. And we do. We do. What should guide our loving? Jesus' love. He served their physical needs. He met their spiritual needs. He did it with humility. Even when people failed him, 
He kept going because he loved them. And he loved first. And it was a witness. And he calls us into that with him. With and by his power. With and by his power. Because when he left, he says, I'm going. And he leaves the disciples. But then he sends us his spirit. He sends us the Holy Spirit by which we do this. We're not alone. What should guide our loving? The Lord Jesus Christ himself. By the power of the Spirit. When we take communion, we remember what we call Calvary. When the cogs were set into motion, as we're in this passage, and Jesus begins to walk the long path to the cross in his substitutionary sacrifice for us, in the way that he loved the whole way. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus says of communion. So if you are a Christian, I invite you to come and do that with us. Please pray with me.